Amen. You may be seated. Turning your Bibles today to Luke chapter 18. We'll begin reading in verse 15 and reading down through verse 30. This is the word of God. Luke 18, beginning with verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this or these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus seeing that had become sad said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say that there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life thus far reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that these words are spirit and they are life. They may not make much sense to the carnal mind, but to the child of God, they are eternal. We ask your blessing upon them today that you would make them to our hearts life, and life more abundant. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. One of the first Bible verses that I ever memorized as a young teenage Christian was Matthew six thirty three. Many of you know it, know it well, perhaps could have admitted it to memory as I did in those early years, here Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount 
tells his followers, do not be anxious about what you will eat or about what you will drink or about what you will wear, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, for me at least, at that point, that verse opened up a whole new world of things that I very simply was unaware of. All I seemed to be interested in at that point was my friends and my job and my car and my money and how I was going to do on the next test in my history class. I was not interested at that point in spiritual things. I had very little interest in the kingdom of God and especially in eternity. That wasn't on my radar. Well, our text this morning shows us that I was not the only one thinking very little, if at all, about the kingdom of God and about eternal life. 2,000 years ago, a man comes to Jesus and asks this question. He is a very religious man. He is he is. A Jew, he is a man who's, who's been exposed to the, the teachings of the Old Testament his entire life. And he comes to Jesus and he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it wasn't just that man. The people who heard our Savior's response to him were also puzzled. And they were saying, if that's the right answer, then who can be saved? Even the disciples are, are puzzled and they are asking questions about our Savior's response. And they say, well, we have left all and we are following you. So what does that mean for us? What are, what are we going to receive? Now, we might be tempted to think that each one of these different situations are, are completely separate and dealing with different issues. But the fact of the matter is, they're all dealing with the same thing. They're dealing with the kingdom of God and how to enter into it. They're dealing with the case of eternal life and what to do in order to have it. They're dealing with treasures in heaven instead of just having treasures on earth. They are dealing all with the same elements. Who can be saved? Who can enter into the kingdom? Who can have eternal life? Who will have treasures in heaven? All of these passages are connected to each other. This question was being asked in the first century. I was asking this question a half a century ago. And it may be that this question is being asked today 
by some of you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? What must I do to have treasure in heaven? And what must I do to be saved? Well, if you're asking that question, stop and listen this morning to these words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, with unspeakable wisdom, our Savior gives us the answer. He takes us, as it were, by the hand and leads us to the very gates of heaven. He leads us to have and have the full assurance that we have that eternal life. Now we're going to look at four particulars dealing with each section. The first is how children make seeking the kingdom simple. And the second part is about how rich young rulers make seeking the kingdom very complicated. And then thirdly, how God makes the kingdom or seeking the kingdom, which is impossible to man, he makes it possible for those who will trust him. And lastly, how our sacrifices made for Christ in this life make seeking the kingdom rewarding to us. Well, let's look first of all at verses 15 through 17. In recent weeks, for those of you who've been here in the evenings, you know we've been looking at various lessons to be learned from the parables that Jesus has given in the preceding section. He gives us first the parable of the persistent widow, and in that encourages us to go to God in prayer and to be encouraged to have confidence in that. Because he is a God who hears and answers the prayers of his people. In the second parable that we looked at, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus directs us to pray, but to pray humbly. To pray with a a definite focus upon our absolute dependence upon God looking to God, calling upon God, that he by the appointed sacrifice might be satisfied and our sins be cleansed. And that appointed sacrifice, of course, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in these next verses, in the section before us, our Savior begins to to expand the picture from the the one issue of biblical prayer that pleases God to the whole issue, to the broad issue of entering into the kingdom of God. Now, Notice what happens in this first section, beginning in verse 15. They were bringing infants, young children. This is not the normal term for children. 
that we might think of. This is a term that specifically means little children, infant children. And they're bringing those children to Jesus that he might touch them. Interesting phrase. But the disciples didn't particularly care for this idea. For them, these children would be an interruption. They would be a distraction. Uh, You know, just keep your children away. We've got more important things to do. But you know what, children? You can be very encouraged by what our Lord has to say here. Because what we see is that Jesus rebukes his disciples. Jesus loves to see these children coming to him. And so he welcomes them openly, freely, emphatically. He welcomes them. He commands his disciples not to keep them away, but to let them come. And he takes them up in his arms and says these remarkable words for of such is the kingdom of God now that phrase has led to a great deal of discussion in commentators and theologians alike when Jesus says It's not merely that he loves children, that he enjoys having them around. But he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must receive it like one of these little children. Now, what does that mean? There are a number of people who have said, well, what Jesus is saying is all children... Young children go to heaven. Well, that is inconsistent and disagreeing with what the scripture teaches. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, you remember that conversation, that remarkable conversation where this Pharisee comes to Jesus by night. And what does Jesus tell him? You must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be born by the power of the Spirit of God because if you don't have that, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, much less enter into it. So the scriptures from start to finish are categorical, my friends. You must be born again. Jesus is not saying that every little child is going to be in heaven. What is it then that he is highlighting here? What is it about children, young children, that Jesus says is essential if you're going to enter into the kingdom? Well, we could talk about a lot of different things, but let me go straight to the point. I believe it is the way a child has simple faith. A simple faith, trust in God. When you think about what it is Jesus is highlighting here, it's the way a child 
simply believes in God. Think about this particular. If you tell a child as they begin to understand things and you say, you need to pray to God. How many parents in this room have taught their children, you need to pray to God? I would like to know if there's a single one that says, how do you know God exists? What's the scientific evidence for the existence of God or that he can hear our prayers? You know what happens? You tell a child to pray, they'll bow their head and say, dear God, (laughs) whatever their prayer might be. It's simple. They don't question it. But we live in a day and an age and we have for, for hundreds of years now in which our culture is questioning everything. Our culture is questioning the existence of God. It's trying to teach us and our children. The Bible is inaccurate. You can't trust it. You need to listen to science. And if you listen to science, then you will believe that life has evolved over billions and billions of years. Of course, one of the problems with that is the science keeps changing. How many of you know what a coelacanth is? I know the word looks like coelacanth, but it's pronounced coelacanth. Coelacanth is a fish. And science for over 150 years had been telling us that the coelacanth became extinct 65 million years ago. Well, lo and behold, guess what happened? They found one swimming around off the coast of South Africa in 1939. And what was amazing was that coelacanth fish looked exactly like his predecessor from a hundred million years ago. Hadn't changed a fin. My friends, there is a simpleness in the faith of children that believes God, that believes the promises of God, that believes the way of salvation that God has given us in his word. And so Jesus says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to receive it like a little child. Now, did you hear that word? You have to receive it. It's a gift from God. Eternal life is the gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do anything to obtain it. You, like a child, have to receive it as the gift of God. Something you don't deserve. And yet he willingly, graciously gives to those who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says you want eternal life? You want to enter into the kingdom of God? You want to have treasure in heaven? You want to be saved? There's only one way, and that's by faith. 
You must receive it. And when you do that, my friends, you can enter into life eternal. Well, secondly, we see a very different picture in verses 18 and following. And we see rich young rulers have a way of making, seeking the kingdom very complicated. This account of a ruler who comes to Jesus is recorded by all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is designated here as a ruler. That ruler is not a political ruler. He's not a king over a country or any kind of of political office. It is most likely referring to the fact that he is a ruler over the synagogue, the place of worship. He's in charge of what goes on in the local synagogue. Matthew says he was young. And all three gospel writers say he was extremely rich. So here is this young man. He comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? That, my friends is a telling statement. We might not pick up on it immediately, but it is a statement that ought to speak volumes to every single person, young or old, male or female, in this room this morning. Here is a young man, strong man, and this man has everything that this world can give. He is young, he has a great job, he is highly respected among his peers, he is very religious, being the ruler of the synagogue, local synagogue, and he is extremely wealthy. Almost sounds like the American dream, doesn't it? What more could you possibly want? He has everything. But he is not happy. He is not satisfied with all of his possessions. His soul is troubled. He knows something is missing. He knows that he is not right with God. And so he's looking for more. My friends, I don't know everybody in this room, but does that describe you? Maybe you're very well off in this world, but you're not happy. You're not content. You're not at peace with God. Something's missing. And you want to know what that is. Well, listen closely to how Jesus responds. Jesus answers him by pointing him to the revealed will of God. We would say the Ten Commandments, only he gives five of those ten. In doing so, he is not saying that the other five 
like worshiping God alone or not bowing down to idols or keeping the Lord's day or coveting your neighbor's possessions. He's not saying that the other five things are not important. He's using these five commandments as representative of the revealed will of God, how God would have us to live. And these five are all that he needed to use to show this man his sin and his need of a savior. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 3 and verse 20, and he says, by the law of God is the knowledge of sin. The law shows us our sin, shows us how far short we fall of what God expects, what God desires. It shows us that we can never satisfy his law. That's why Paul can say, by the works of the law, no man living can be justified. It's not something you can do here. He is pointing us to our need of Christ as a redeemer, as one who has lived and obeyed the law perfectly and his righteousness is now imputed to our account. What we see here is that this man's heart is cold. His eyes are blind. He cannot see his sin or his need of a savior. And my friends, no one can enter into the kingdom of God without that. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that you need a savior? Do you know that Jesus has come and lived and died a a sacrificial death upon the cross and has been raised from the dead and has ascended on high and will come again? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. This man did not, and he could not see. He glibly says, when Jesus says, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder, don't lie. And the man glibly says, oh, I've already done all that. Now that's not a true statement, because if he truly loved God and loved his neighbor, he would have gladly received the next command Jesus would give him. But of course, he doesn't do that. He thinks he's fine, but something's missing. And so he says, what more? What more can I do? Give me another list. He refuses to receive the gift of the kingdom. And he says, no, I want something that I can work it out myself. Now, Jesus touches the nerve, the root of the problem here. This man's lack of assurance of salvation was a heart issue. It wasn't about what he did or what he didn't do. In spite of the religious talk, the fact was this man's heart had not been given to God. He did not love God or his neighbor with all his heart. And so Jesus says, go. 
and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. Now maybe you can know instinctively Jesus is not calling on every single one of us to sell everything we have and go sit on the sidewalk with nothing on. He's not calling for a vow of poverty by every true Christian. This was a problem for this young man. This young man, his idol was his money. And Jesus says, give it all away. So what Jesus is doing is dealing specifically with this man. He does not require all of us to give everything away, but he does require all of us, each and every one of us, to love him with all our heart. To know that all of our possessions, that our money in the bank, that our, our prized possessions are not our own, but they belong to God. And we are stewards called to use those possessions for his glory. In this case, this man loved his money. He loved his possessions more than he loved God. And though he was offered the kingdom of God and eternal life and treasure in heaven, he was not willing to give up his earthly treasures and receive the kingdom as a gift. My friends, you can't have both. And that's why we hear those familiar words from the Apostle John in 1 John 2 and verse 15 when he says, stop loving the world because the things that are in the world, the love of the world is not in the Father. You can't do both. Jesus said earlier in the gospel, you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. And that is what this man was face to face with. Well, then we have God making, seeking the kingdom of God possible. You know, as you stand back and look at this passage of scripture and you read about this rich young ruler coming to Jesus, I can't think of a sadder part of scripture than this than this picture before us here was a young man in the prime of life standing on the brink of heaven within arm's reach of the kingdom of God but instead of entering that kingdom He turns and walks away. Brothers and sisters, if you're there, I plead with you, don't walk away. Look to God. Look to him now in faith. Perhaps you're struggling with with worldly possessions and worldly pleasures that are eating away at your affections for God and Christ. Turn 
turn from them and put your whole heart and soul into your relationship with God and with Christ as your Savior. There are many things that can turn a man's heart away from God, but nothing is more powerful than the love of money. And Jesus highlights that. He spells it out in verses 24 and following. When he saw that this man became sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, some people have tried to explain this away because they know that a camel can't go through the eye of a needle, right? I mean, even our youngest children understand that. Do you think a large furry animal could pass through the eye of a tiny little needle that's about that big? Of course not. Now, some people have tried to explain this away and say, well, there was a small opening in the wall of the city that a camel could only pass through if it got down on its knees. Well, brethren, that might preach, but it's not true. And it's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then he says, That's impossible. The point that Jesus is making is actually quite simple. The people understood. Who can can possibly be saved if that's the case? Jesus says what is impossible with with man is possible with God. His point is this, salvation is not a human endeavor. It's not something you can orchestrate. It's not something you can do if you're good enough. It is exactly what Jesus says. It's impossible because no man living has the power to change his heart. And that heart must be changed to enter the kingdom of God. You remember how Jeremiah puts it? Pretty simple, but very vivid illustration when he says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can a black man make himself white? Can a white man make himself black? Of course not. Can the leopard change his spots? If the leopard wants to identify as a tiger, sorry, you're a leopard. You're not a tiger. You can't change your spots. And Jeremiah says, neither can you learn to do good who are accustomed to doing evil. My friends, Paul says it in Ephesians 2, we are dead in trespasses and sin. And we can't change that. But God can. 
And God has told us how. That if we call upon him, he can make what is impossible, possible. God can give life to the dead. God can take away the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh and put his spirit within us and cause us to walk according to his statutes. This is what God does. He did it for Nicodemus. He did it for the Apostle Paul. He did it for the Ephesian believers who were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made them alive. He did it for the Philippian jailer. When this man comes to Paul and Silas in the dungeon and says, Brethren, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's simple. It's impossible unless God by his power and grace works in you to make you willing to give you faith. It's his gift to bring you into the kingdom. Well, lastly, let's look at these words very briefly that our sacrifices make seeking the kingdom rewarding. Verse 28 and following, Peter says, see, we have, we, we've done that. We've left everything and we've followed you. What about us? What's going to happen to us? What are we going to receive? Jesus' words are striking. When he says in verse 29, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Now, my friends, listen closely. God does not owe us anything. This is not about, well, I did this, now God's going to do that because I did this. God owes us nothing. We are condemned, unclean. We deserve the judgment and wrath of God. We deserve to spend eternity in hell. But for those who will turn to him and call upon him and trust in Christ... God is a loving father. He is a good, gracious God who loves to bless his people. He loves to give and give and give good gifts to his children. And that's what we see here. Jesus says, if you've given up this or that or the other you are going to receive many times more right now in this world and in the future, in eternity, life everlasting. Now perhaps your commitment to Christ has cost you. Maybe it cost you your job. Maybe it's cost you your finances. Maybe it's cost you a family member or more than one. 
A father, mother, said, I don't want to hear it. A son, or daughter, who's rejected the teaching they received as children and walked away from Christ. Jesus says, if you are in the kingdom of God, you're going to receive many times more in this life. You are going to receive blessings beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to have spiritual treasures. You're going to have the assurance of God's love. You're going to have peace of conscience, what this rich young ruler did not have. You're going to enjoy the presence of God, his worship and his service. It's going to be a delight to you. It's going to be rewarding. Maybe you've lost family members, but brothers and sisters, you're now part of the household of God. And you have thousands, millions of brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you're going to enjoy fellowship with them. And then, in the world to come, you're going to have eternal life. Many of the Puritans describe it and many others C.H. Spurgeon, for one, in his morning and evening devotionals, talks about uh, a widow woman. The Puritans usually refer to a, a young or an old man who sits down at a very meager meal of bread and water. And he exclaims, What? All this? And Christ too? Brethren, that's what Jesus is telling you this morning. If you're part of the kingdom of God, by simple faith, trust in him, you're going to have all this, much more, blessings beyond description, spiritual treasures right now, and Christ eternal life oh may God grant to each one of us that kingdom of God let's pray together Father we thank you we thank you that though we deserve nothing you give us so much and though we deserve judgment and condemnation you Give us life eternal, joy and peace and happiness in the kingdom of God. Oh, would you work savingly in each and every heart in this place this day. And to those who are listening online, we ask our God for your mercy. We ask for your abundant grace through Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's take a few moments, pray that God will make his word fall like seed on good ground and bring forth praise and glory to him.